If you follow the Canadian music scene, you know that Brampton is one of those places that has had things on lock for the last few years. One of those names that's been bubbling up both at home as well as internationally has been that of Brampton representative, R&B singer, songwriter, and musician Vaz. In this episode, B-Magic and I sit down with Vaz to talk about his start in London, England, singing in the choir at a Christian school, making his very first recordings at home and getting some love and some shine at BBC Radio, as well as the politics of race and radio. From there, we also talk about the transition he and his family made from the UK to settling here in Toronto and the effect that that had on his ability to pursue his art. Vaz also gets very candid in discussing some health issues that he's faced for most of his life, as well as a pending kidney transplant operation that he was set to face at the time of this recording. I'm happy to report that Vaz has since had the operation and is well on his way to recovery, but looking back on this episode now, it's an interesting time capsule because it allows us to see how when facing our own mortality or coming to grips with it, it can change our perspective as far as what really matters in our lives and how we pursue the things that matter the most to us. We really hope you enjoy this conversation. This is Season 2, Episode 4 of the Immigrant Hustle Podcast. Okay, this is the Immigrant Hustle Podcast. I am your host, B-Magic. I got my boy Noise with me. And today, today. very, very special guest. All the way from Brampton. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> via, via the UK, we got the man himself, singer songwriter himself, Vaz. How you doing? Okay, you doing? Vaz in the <laughs> thank building. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. First oh. of all, thank you for coming to Combo Studios. I hope you feel welcome here. I'm right at home. <laughs> as soon as I walked in, I told you. Glad. I'm, I'm glad you are. That that's the yeah. kind of space we tried to create yeah, for uh, our guests here. Yeah, man. So we're trying to keep it luxurious, but also feel like home at the same time. Honestly, this new peacock piece that we got here—I don't know, man. The peacock. Piece? We might have to auction this off after this season. Oh, that's that's my my mother-in-law's. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if she. I don't, I don't know, know, man. She ain't getting it back. Yeah, this is crazy. <laughs> All right, so noise. Where where should we start with this? Because just like season one, we're gonna start yeah. with you leading it off. All right, man. I guess first off, Vaz, as we can tell from the accent, you are from the UK. Yeah, I'm uh, from a place. Technically, uh, just a bit away from London. So I'm born and raised in a place called Slough. And then uh, I moved from Slough to a place called Hounslow. But okay. A lot of Punjabis in both those places. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So, but Hounslow is uh, right next to Southall. So, yeah. you know, Southall's representing for the Punjabi community. Nice, nice. Um, but yeah, and then, but I still went to school in Slough. Uh, big up Herschel Grammar. Hey, and, shout out to Black. Yo, yo, class of uh, class of '98, and then um, you know, I just aged myself there. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's but okay. We're all old. But um, <laughs> I went, to, um, and then yeah, I, went, I moved here in uh, 2008 with my family. Yeah, uh, I got two younger brothers, uh, my mom and dad, obviously, and then we moved here, and then I moved back in 2014. Whoa, whoa, whoa! You're jumping, a, you're jumping too yeah. far ahead. Here, <laughs> let's, let's slow this down a little bit. Way too um, quick. So you're you're <laughs> of Punjabi descent. I'm a Punjabi, hundred percent descent. Yeah. And uh, and growing up in like Slough, Hounslow area, there there's, there's a lot of Punjabi. There's a big community of us. So there. like yeah. your childhood in your house back then, was there a lot of music being played? Always, man. Um, a lot of Bollywood. Obviously. Yeah, yeah. I remember my dad uh, every week used to go to the VHS rental like video cassette rental place. Yeah. And he used to get one English movie and you used to get one bollywood movie okay and uh obviously they got like cassette tapes there as well so he'd ask the people there like which one's good yeah like and then we'll get the tape and then you know during the ride to school whenever i'm in the car this is like when i'm like six seven eight nine like you know onwards uh we listen to these old bollywood songs so old school bollywood i know down to a t <laughs> like this new school yeah. i'm not really familiar with but you know, I'll give you a game of Antakshri, uh, straight <laughs> with the old school uh, Bollywood. And obviously, same with Punjabi music as well. A lot of Bangla music playing around uh. back in the day. Your Gurdas Mans, your um, Chumkila, obviously. Yeah. Old, old school stuff. Yeah. Um, but then my mom and dad love English music too. So especially my mom, she used to listen to a lot of swing. Frank Sinatra, the oh, Rat okay, Pack. Um, so I used to grow up listening to that type of music. My dad loved Lionel Richie. He loved Stevie Wonder. Uh, the Commodores. So, growing up, I used to listen to all this, all all different types of music, 
Um, so as soon as I was around six, seven, I started singing in the choir. And apparently I was pretty good at that time because the teachers would say, oh, you got a pretty good voice. Okay. So all I wanted to do was sing. Yeah, yeah. So school choir? Yeah, school choir. Yeah. Because um, in England, I'm not sure if it, they do it here, but in England, uh, in the, every morning you sit on a hard wooden floor in assembly and they tell you what's going on at school. And then at the end, you have to sing a couple of songs. Uh, they put, you know, the projector on the yeah. screen. Kumbaya, my lord, he's got the whole world <laughs> yeah. in his hand. All these type of songs. Puff so the they were trying to indoctrinate you as a Christian. <laughs> yeah, really. yep, yep. And we say a prayer and we have to say amen at the end and everything. Oh, man, I had kind of actually similar thing similar Norway? things. Like I, yeah. there was choirs and stuff like that in Norway. Yeah. And like, you, like I could have, my parents could have opted me out of going, but like my parents are like, well, go, yeah, no, go. It's, it's part of the school, right? Yeah. And it's fun, all your friends are there, like, I'm not going to be that guy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what my parents said. They didn't want to isolate me. They're, they know, like they explained, yeah, this is our God and that's their God and you respect yeah. it and yeah. you go do it. That's and all. As you yeah, do, yeah. and as we are respectful individuals, yeah. I have no problem doing that. Okay, yeah. That's dope. Um, I, didn't, I didn't know that, that like a lot of European schools yeah. yeah, kind of have that Christianity kind of you know, built right into it. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't know if it's like that anymore. I don't think. It I, is, doubt it, I doubt it. I doubt it. But back in the day, it was like at the end you sing and like. I remember they made us sing "Puff the Magic Dragon" like weekly. And <laughs> I, I don't think they knew what it meant at the time, and we didn't yeah. obviously either. And then as we grew older, we we're like, oh, <laughs> that's what that's about. But yeah, and um, and then we say a little prayer, and it's like Amen at the end, mm. and it was it's all just good vibes and just putting out that good feeling towards everything. But yeah, then. Um, I started singing in the choir and then I had a cousin who played the guitar uh, and I really wanted to play the guitar so I begged my dad to get me one for Christmas when I was around 10 yeah, okay. so finally he got me one and then yeah just started learning and writing and progressing from there that's so amazing just, just to go back a little bit because um, you mentioned your parents are listening to soul music like yeah. I don't even think my parents know what soul music is and we're kind of from that, that same age group so like what when did your parents actually migrate to the UK? And I think that's that's, that's a great that's a, the Yeah, that's a great yeah. question because my mom came to England when she was around 3 4 years old. Oh, okay, yeah. wow. So she was a, a baby when she came. Yeah. Well, that immigration rush in UK was, was a early. lot a lot yeah. a lot earlier than yeah, here. Yeah, They've yeah. been there for ages. So she came with my grandparents, right? Yeah. Right in like the 60s, 70s. Uh yeah. So yeah. Uh, so growing up, she was exposed to these these songs and exposed to the music. So she obviously has her own immigration story too, because mm -hmm, yeah. she she was there first, right? And then my dad came as well in his like early twenties, uh, and he started listening to the music as he was trying to get climatized to the country too. Yeah, and you know you gravitate to good music, and I guess that's why I am an R and B singer because my parents yeah love that stuff. Um, so growing up, I had a good eclectic group of uh, genres to listen to. Yeah. What were some of your earliest favorites? Like, yeah, you mentioned there was a broad uh, variety of music, but like, what, what, like, what pulled at your interest? Like, first, like, what do you first remember falling in love with? To be honest with you, it was uh, Michael Jackson. As cliched as it sounds. Nah, man, yeah. Michael Jackson's the goat, man. Hundred percent. As cliche, because I remember that he had like a like a movie, like a musical movie on yeah. TV, and I remember watching it when I'm like four or five years old, and. The whole week at school, I'm trying to do the moonwalk. I'm like, yeah. sweating, I'm like <laughs> thrusting my hips and all that. Yeah. I'm like trying to sing like Michael Jackson. And um, yeah, so that was like my first memory, which like grabbed my soul. I was like, it's funny you say Michael Jackson because like the only thing that I like get mad at my, uh, at my pops for is that I was too young to go. Well, I, I can't even be mad at him because I was too young, but he took both my brothers to a Michael Jackson concert wow. when he was in Oslo, Norway. Wow. And it's like they still rub it in my face till this would, day that you were I too young 200%. to be there. But like that would have been so dope to be like, yo, motherfuckers. <laughs> like even yeah. if I didn't remember it as a kid, just done. Yeah, just a stun of motherfuckers. I've seen them like. Yeah, 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 I saw Michael. You being the oldest, was there was there like a lot of like academic pressure? Like once you get into like oh, the always, high school years, always as being a being brown and acad academia is hand in hand. I feel especially of course. for. 
our generation, all my life, I like, yeah, yeah, music's cool, 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 but make sure you do school, make sure you finish your education, make sure you get a degree and all that stuff. Because our parents, that's that to them, that is success. You go to school, you get a degree, you get a job, you get married, you buy a house, you know that. Nah. That's the progression. But here we are breaking that mold, and you know, some parents are ha- supportive. Some parents get used to it. Nah. Some parents just don't accept it at all. Luckily for me, my parents have got used to it because they don't really have much of a choice. But, you know, <laughs> I've done everything else. I went yeah. to uni. I got the degree. I got the job. I bought the house. I yeah. did all that. Like, I'm here for one thing and one thing only, and that's to make great music and to take over the world. Mm-hmm. And um, my parents see that. And they can't really say anything else to me because I've done everything else. Yeah, yeah. You, you played I mean? by the rules. And I'm still, you know, it's it's... It's what I'm here for. So uh, I'm pretty lucky in that sense. My parents are cool and supportive. Um, but yeah, 100% get a degree and do all that. And I have. Uh, now my brothers, um, they're much better men than me, to be honest with you. They're very they're academia-wise and smarts-wise. Mm-hmm. Like My middle brother's in med school. The other one's um, doing kinesiology. And again, they're both smarter than me, <laughs> academic-wise. <laughs> Got to still be the big brother. Right? Um, yeah, uh, hold on. I just remembered one thing, and tell me if this is true. In in the UK, the results come out in like the the local newspaper, no? They used to. They used to. I'm not right? sure. Wow. Maybe now. <laughs> no thing is, we'd go to uh, the, that's actually a bit before my time with the res- on the newspapers. Yeah. So by my time, it was like you'd go into school and you get your envelope. Yeah. And then the papers would come to your school, and whoever's like top achievers. Would get photog like take pictures of and stuff, yeah. and they would put them in the paper. Oh, okay. I was never one of them. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Man got biased still. Yeah, I was like, I was like, I remember hearing a story like that, and I was like, holy fuck! If my if my name was out there and my parents could see like that, full display, geez, that would have been terrible. Shit, they're left, right, <laughs> yeah, like that. Ba- back in back back in the day, they used to do the paper thing, but um, yeah, good thing no they way. stopped. Man, they saved a lot you of know. kids from getting <laughs> their you, ass got, beat. You, you just get an envelope. You just like, what is this? And nobody says nothing. Uh, if it's good, you're like, yeah, I fucking killed it. I fucking killed it. If it's not good, it's like, nah, don't worry about it. You don't want to know. You don't want to know. But yo, that would be because I remember back in my my high school years, people would forge their report cards. Oh yeah, yeah, fuck man. Yo, you couldn't even do that if you're on blast in no. the papers. Oh hell no, <laughs> you don't even know it. You would have you to make a fake out. newspaper and deliver yeah. it to your own house. <laughs> Waiting for the paper boy to come and you just like keep writing, man, keep writing. <laughs> <laughs> nah, nah, it's none of that. It's like it is what it is. Uh, so uh, when, like, uh, did you do high school in the UK? Yep, I actually have never been to a formal institute of education in Canada. No way. I did my degree. I graduated on the 15th of July. I flew over on the 17th of July here. I didn't even get to celebrate my graduation. No way. Um, I graduated, got the pictures, and we were back home packing to fly over So here. what were the circumstances around coming to Canada? The grass is greener, man. Yeah. Grass is green, and my parents wanted a change, uh, especially my mom. Um, we didn't, we don't have that many family members here, and at that time, we we hardly knew anybody. But um, you know, we got the permanent residency, and you know, we heard great things, and it was just time. You don't know how things are until you move over, right? Mm-hmm. And it's been a, especially the first couple of years, it's been a struggle. And if you talk to my dad sometimes now, he'll still say, you know, my papa's children, I'm going to go back and everything. Cause same same thing my dad's yeah, done for years. Yeah, 100%. Um, but I feel overall, Canada is a, I, yeah, Canada's a great country. I it's love wonderful. Canada. I'm home. This is home for me. But I'm I'm a London boy. Yeah. I'm born and raised, so you of can't course. you can't take that out of me. No, and that's that's one of the things, too, is like... That's part of your identity forever. I rip it till I die, man. But um, I'm I'm lucky because I am citizen. I have two passports. Nah. I have here and I have there, right? So uh, I'm very blessed in that sense. So what was like when you first came to Canada? How was that transition? Like, was it difficult to adjust? Man, that was a <laughs> tough, 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 tough time. Because you gotta understand, uh, when I left England, I had a girl. For a couple for, that I was with for a good few years, I all my boys that I grew up with, and like I'm a very blessed individual when it comes to good people around me. So um, I have some very good friends. So I'm still great friends with. Shout out them. Um, and you know I was working. I had my own whip. I had 
everything. And then we moved here, and then I've come in. We're living in a basement now. Yeah. Uh, I don't know anyone. I've got no whip of my own. I've got my girls in it. Like, we tried to do the whole long-distance thing at the time. It does not work. <laughs> and, um, you know, I've got no friends. Yeah. And within three weeks, I found a job downtown, which was great because uh, it exposed me to downtown life, um, which was essential for me yeah. uh, when I first moved back. So all I had was work colleagues, but that was work colleagues, right? And they're all older than me, so it wasn't... And, and they're all... None of them were Punjabi. Like, not that that matters, because, you know, luckily, we're from a very... Uh, even though there's a big Punjabi community, mo a, a lot of my friends back in England were of a diverse culture. Diverse yeah. cultures. And then, um, yeah, it, uh, the first year was really tough. And then, you know, broke up with the girl... Uh, we finally moved into uh, this house here in Brampton, so we've been here since then. And uh, by the second, third year, things got better. Yeah, I got fully, you know, involved in my work. Uh, at the time, I was working within banking because I have a degree in economics and finance, which I kind of always regretted getting. I wish I did something more music related, like sound engineering or stuff. I had this conversation with Noise. Man is not an engineer. I suck at it. <laughs> uh, I'm a singer songwriter, but I wish I could, you know, mix and master my own stuff. Yeah, it makes a big difference. But you know, brown mentality again. Have a backup. Have a backup. Have a backup. There's no such thing as a backup for me. Yeah, we kind of always have this conversation. We've had it a lot with a lot of our guests, and it's like that whole thing of like, imagine if the school system was built in a way where it leads you down the path of something that you're actually passionate and interested and good at, right? Because imagine if, you know, uh, or even like if our parents were more accepting of that route as well, right? Um, if, if you had put the same amount of time that you put into your, your education, right? And at least you did it, you finished it, yeah. right? But imagine if you could do that in music, Ooh. how much that would elevate your talent more than It'd it already is already now. out there, right? But I feel that's up to our generation now when we have children that we need to nurture them into following the path that they will feel best. And obviously, you know, there's 40-year-olds that don't know what they want to do in their nah. life. But that's the whole point of, I feel, good parenting, to be able to help your child make decisions and give them options, nah. but not too many options where they feel confused, but help them find their path nah. and support that whether it be the arts or whether it be academia or whether it be a trade or something. So that's what I feel our generation needs to do going forward. And I'm, I know for a fact, if I'm, when I'm, if, when I'm blessed enough to have children, um, I'm going to do that with my kids. Mm -hmm. um, and that's not even taking away nothing from our parents, right? Because they were man. in that they did generation the best, that had man. to do whatever the fuck they had to do to, We know? are, can never match our parents, man. Uh, like I can't do, I'm not even a fraction of what my parents are. Do you know what I mean? Like, the stuff that they've had to go through and endure, I can't do that. So forever grateful to them. And they look, I am who I am because of my parents, right? Yeah. So shout out to mom and dad. <laughs> <laughs> shout out, shout out. And when I was about, I would say 15, 16, I got my first mic. And it was one of those fucking handheld mics, you know. You plug it in, USB, and well, like the typical like karaoke mic, Hitachi, Hitachi oh, karaoke. Yeah. Like, I remember, I was like, it's like nineteen ninety nine or something. I got it from Tesco's, which is like Walmart. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Shout out to Tesco. Yeah. <laughs> you know, my Tesco touched this. Done. You know, you know. We, uh, then yeah, we went there and uh, got the mic, and I just started recording on Acid Pro. What was uh, like? Do you like your earliest? things that you recorded what was oh, it? oh man I literally i remember recording over a over jay-z beat okay um, which one if you remember the bounce uh, yeah. i remember recording yeah, one of my over favorite that. i think that was a kanye beat no yeah yeah yeah, yeah. no timberland it was a timberland timberland yeah on his camp uh, what's a Raju Shwari? Yeah, she had the candy shop Bro, remix. She just he just chopped her vocals and made so and many beats. So many, and then she where is she now? Yeah, Yo, shout out to Raju Yo, Shwari. Honestly, she needs to come on the Immigrant yeah, Hustle podcast. Yeah, she. Does. We're gonna find her. Find her Instagram still. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that and then um, what else? Pharrell Williams and Jay Z. Better Jay Z beats. Yeah. I love Jay Z. Yo, Jay Z's the man. Uh, what song is it? I'm a hustler, baby. Yeah. Like that beat. And the thing is, Eight Mile came out as well when I was about 14, 15. And so, uh, no, 15, 16, I think. But like, I loved the. Uh, I was trying to rap. 
Man ain't a rapper, but I'm not a rapper though. Um, but you know, I was writing bars and stuff and trying to write bar like the verse was rap and then the hook was like singing. So mm. I was trying to do that whole flex. Okay. But then I was like, I'm not a rapper, man. And then I started listening to more Prince and then Music Soul Child. One of my one of my favorite artists of all time, Music Soul Child. Uh, I started listening to him a lot more. So I just focused on singing because I was like, I could either be a rapper or I could be a singer. But I was like, I'm not going to get taken serious as a rapper because I'm not about that life. You know yeah. what I mean? I'm a singer. I like, I'm about the ladies. I'm trying to sing. So I, I started focusing on my singing. You were trying to get the girls. 100%. <laughs> I ain't going to lie about it. That's why I started playing the guitar. Yeah. That's why I started singing. Like, just trying to get, nah. But it works. It's okay. It works. It's okay. It because works. a lot of people that come on the show, it that works. is the very first re reason why they started this it shit. It was this girl. And, uh, she, <laughs> <laughs> we but, need her exact name and address right now. Nah. <laughs> man, don't do that. Man, don't kiss and tell like that. But yeah, um, I started see, I started doing that. And then just yeah, writing, writing my own songs over these beats. And then I went to uni and uh, I started meeting producers. But none of these producers were making my own the beats that i wanted so i started messing with uh uh fruity loops as we all shout do. out to fruity loops <laughs> fruity loops and then from fruity loops i started messing with reason i got myself a midi keyboard and through youtube i started teaching myself how to play chords on the piano yes, i knew how yes. to play the guitar yeah. so it's kind of like transferable from there sorry from there to there yeah um so i just started making basic melodies and basic beats um yeah, and then I just I had a few songs out there. There was this station called Club Asia back in the day that did like was one of the first urban Asian radio stations. Yeah. Okay, now when I say Asian in yeah, England, yeah, Asian I know, means I, I have to explain that. I know, here, I, I know, but yeah, for, yeah. The, for the listeners, please do tell. When I say Asian in England, Asian means my peoples, Punjabi brown people. Yeah. We don't say South Asian; we say Asian. Yeah. Um, in I know here if you say Asian you think of Chinese, Korean, Japanese, but like For in England sure. there's there's I didn't well especially in my area there wasn't uh, there wasn't a population of uh, that area of people yeah so it has it was like an urban Asian station and I remember when I was like eighteen nineteen I submitted this song I was doing with a producer I went to uni with Amar Beats um, we recorded in his living room and he mixed and mastered it. Okay. I don't think he even mastered it. I don't even, we didn't even know what mastering <laughs> was. We know, I don't think anybody's nah. early recordings what were mixed, mastered. What the fuck was mastered? mastered? No. You know what? To be honest with you, he, he, we recorded it at one tempo and then he sped it up because it sounded better sped up. Yeah. And then he, and then we just sent it off that way and uh, we actually, they liked it and they played it. So for a good month and a half, two months, I was on radio uh on that and that was that was the highlight of my career oh, okay. so you're already already in rotation at like 19 20 years old. yeah but it was like yeah. minor and there was no prs there was no socan no yeah. nothing it just like i submitted it it got yeah. played man got gassed that's all yeah it was. yeah so I'm, that's what i was gonna ask like they probably had to do a lot for your confidence like these are your earliest recordings yeah. and you're already at a point where you're getting played on the radio yeah. but it was just one right it was yeah. just one song and then man moved here and then I was living the immigrant life. Mm. We came here. We lived in a basement. Five of us in a two-bedroom basement. Yeah. So for at least a year, year and a half, all I was doing was working. And I was working downtown, commuting as well from, yeah. from Markham. I, uh, I lived in Markham. So that was a bit of a culture shock for me still. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, there's not a whole lot popping off in Markham. No, no, no. <laughs> but I had to go from Markham all the way downtown Younger College uh, yeah. for work. And uh, my whole year was just consumed of adapting and working. Yeah, so there was no music. Yeah, sorry, not, not to cut you off oh. there, but I was just going to ask, like, being in that basement setting where, you know, five people in a very enclosed space. It's like Big Brother, man. Yeah, you don't have that capability to, obviously, you need silence to record on the mic, I right? I couldn't record, man. Yeah. I did nothing. Like, my desk was, a, was an ironing board. Mm. That's how we lived. And we didn't have beds. We had a mattress. Yeah. Even though we've come from England, we're yeah. still immigrants. Uh, and we're still adapting and we're still building because yeah. we had nothing. Well, we had nothing essentially when we came. Uh, and we were trying to just feel, our, feel the waters, you know, put our feet on the ground. So for a good year, year and a half, maybe even two, I did no music, man. And I can't explain to you how bad that was for my soul. 
Mm. Um, finally, when we bought the house and got settled and I had my own room and all that stuff, it was like, okay, let me start doing some more music. So I bought a little mic and I wanted to perform. I'm a performer. Yeah. Like I feel, I feel the best, one of the best feelings in the world is performing on stage. Yeah. Like when oh, you, it's, it's it, you know, you guys know. Yeah, you guys it's, know. You've it's done it. an incredible feeling, man. It's one thing to record music and put it out and share it with the world, but it's an entirely different feeling to actually be on stage and to actually feel and share that energy that was captured within that recording. Keyword, man, energy. Yeah. The keyword is like when you feel it and it reciprocates, especially when man's are like singing your shit, it's like, wow. Yeah. I love it. You get giddy. You're like, ah, okay, yeah. man's doing his thing. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. So, so when when were you actually like? Do you remember your very first performance, other than a, like a choir setting? Uh, so back in England, again, when I was at uni, I was doing this thing called a spotlight, where once a month they would have like open. It was like an open mic thing, and you just come and you sing. So I started singing, but again, I didn't have any song, real songs, or I didn't have any real beats or anything. Yeah. So. Uh, part of my set i would just go up and sing a cappella. Mm -hmm. and even now till today when i do my sets and uh i want people to get acquainted with my voice because mm -hmm. um, i really feel you know i'm not confident about many things in life to be honest with you but the one thing i'm confident about is i will be on stage and i'll be able to sing your panties off straight yeah like i can <laughs> sing <laughs> like touch wood thank god right? yeah. but like so i used to just go up and like my name is vaz i'm trying to get you acquainted to my voice and i would just start singing Okay. And uh, I remember doing a cappella sets and I would still get a great reception. Wow. So I would do that. And then when I moved here, like I said, a couple of years, I didn't do any music. But then once I started getting settled, I started trying to find open mic nights mm -hmm. around, the, uh, around the city. So there was a few in Mississauga, like Square One. And then I went to the supermarket downtown in okay, Kensington. Okay, Kensington, yeah. Whew, that's an experience as well. You that's the do, spot, yeah. yeah, man. You want to do open <laughs> mic, you go there. And I would... I would rock up on my own, like on my own. Yeah. I don't know one, know anybody. I don't know any, like I'm not with anybody because I ain't got no entourage. Uh, my brothers were quite young at that time as well. So, you know, they, they couldn't come out, <laughs> especially on a Sunday. They got school in the morning. Yeah. So I would just go on my, I would just go myself and uh, I have n no beats, no nothing. Just jump on stage and sing a cappella. That's how I was doing more and more and more music. Did you have, like, before you had a whole lot of original pieces written, did you have kind of songs that you would cover, like, as your go-tos? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, um, Boys to Men. Okay. Uh, uh, the Walsh. I think it was the, is the And If I Ever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And If I Yeah, all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, what else would I do? Uh, I would do A Prince, uh, The Most Beautiful Girl. I was like, can't you see? Jeez. Most beautiful girl in the world. Okay. Do that uh, so just so I can demonstrate my falsetto. Then after a while, I started doing Frank Ocean, Thinking About You. Yeah. So these are my covers that I would like push out. Yeah. Which would like demonstrate my range and everything. And then I would, yeah, I would literally just do covers and then started doing my own originals as well. Mm -hmm. I can play the guitar. I can sing, but I'm not very i can admit that i'm not the best when it comes to playing and singing at the same time okay so i can sing and play but i want you to be able to hear all the nuances and everything within my voice and i feel i do that best when i'm not playing on the guitar yeah so so you're hitting up these open mics um you're, you're winning over the crowd you're getting that good response but are you are you feeling confident in your abilities as a performer right off the bat or how long does it take you to actually feel comfortable on the stage i'm nervous and it's the same with me in exams. I am nervous uh, up until I'm actually on stage. Yeah. As soon as I step foot on the stage and start talking, I'm I'm like another being. Yeah. That's how I feel anyway. But until then, I'm like rubbing my hands. I'm like sweating a little bit. I'm like mooking, looking at the crowd, seeing what's going on. I feel that, you know, those little, that little pit feeling your pit in your yeah, stomach, yeah. you know what I mean? But then um, as soon as I'm on stage, I'm like, <laughs> so yeah that's that's how i've always been and it's yeah. just it's getting like that more and more and i feel even when i sell out is it the scotia bank arena now uh even when i sell that out or something i'm still mm. gonna feel that same way as yeah. soon as i'm on stage i'll be fine and i think that that's a that's an interesting point you bring up i feel like with a lot of performers people always ask like do you get nervous but i feel like 
once you're up there, there's no nerves. That's how I, you know. I feel like you have to, like, we, you end up having to have that just to make sure that you are aware how much yeah. this means, right? Exactly, yeah. So you're kind of, I feel like we as humans do that to just psych ourselves up. But the thing is, it's that adrenaline. Same thing as when you play sports, yeah. right? Yeah. Even if you're hurt, you're going to end up keep on playing because, yo, you don't realize it, right? Mm. It's all the adrenaline running through you. And it's the same thing you're on stage. All those nerves are gone because you're up there and you're just doing it and you have to be this confident being, right? Yeah. And then the second you're off stage, it's all off of you, right? Yeah. But it's, it's a funny roller coaster yeah. ride. Like, how is it for you? Uh, it's euphoric, man. Um, you're nervous because you care. I care about how I'm going to perform. I care about, you know, I, I want the crowd to respond in a positive way, which, yeah. you know, touch wood, thank God they do, you know what I mean? But, like, you don't know that till you get on stage. So you're, I'm nervous because I care. Uh, and then you're on stage and you're just, you're on the ride, I guess, performing and going through the motions, the ups and downs. And then when you get off, it's that euphoric buzzing feeling. You got like that certain note playing in your head like, mm. yeah, but um, yeah, it, that's the best way to explain it. A roller coaster. Um, and uh, I guess we all as performers feel it. I don't think I don't like to drink or smoke or anything before I jump on stage because mm. I want to make sure make sure my vocals are good. Afterwards, I'm all game. But like <laughs> um, before I don't. So, but I know a few people that like to like be out of their mind when they're performing. Like, yeah, and Yo, I don't, I've I don't been know. there, done that. <laughs> I was just about to say, there have been many shows where me and Magic are performing, and this guy's like had quite a few before going on. Stage. I like, yo, majority of the time, yeah. I, it's like I'm good in the sense of like, yo, two, three, nice, just, though. just to. Just to make sure that I can just be as loose as possible, yeah, right? There. But there's been times where <laughs> I haven't drank so responsibly. But hey, man. <laughs> it's, us it's usually the out-of-town shows. Oh, man. That's the only yeah, thing. You know, yeah. it, 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 the worst one was, and I, I've said it on the podcast before, yeah. like UK one. Oh, yeah. I yeah. was fucking trashed yeah, for that, the man. UK We one. do that. But, yeah, Trying to keep you up. know. That's why. Whatever. But the thing is... My show never lacks. Yeah. It's just, you know, noise will realize that I'm fucking hammered out of my mind. You okay, fam? Yeah. Yeah, man. That's what I'm saying. Like, uh, and I know, like I said, I know other artists that do that. And they're cool. They're like, yeah, man, I'm ready. Let's do this fucking uh, shit. Uh, I'm like, yo, okay, let's do it. No, yo, everybody has their ritual. There's people who's, yo, they're taking, like, I should probably be taking care of my voice. Like, yeah, very few times I've drank, like, honey, mm -hmm. like, or tea before a show, but. It's a must. It definitely 100%. is. If it were, like for me, like I said, for me as a singer, singer I, for sure. I I don't like you know I, I I have a nice green tea beforehand. I keep hydrated. I'm not shouting at anyone. Yeah, no. If I, if I sound raspy, it might add to my show. You know, so. <laughs> I can't because I want to hit the you know. Yeah, no, you gotta hit notes. I, I ain't gotta hit no. Like, I ain't hitting no fucking notes in my show. <laughs> I gotta do all that. So I'm I I am I'm, I'm pretty uh, so I I 100 sober. I actually want to perform drunk and see how that goes uh, but you know you don't want to risk it no nah, wait wait till you're <laughs> on and popping and then maybe you can afford it yeah, yeah. i'll be like what <laughs> now you gotta wait you gotta wait until like you're a well-known guy and yeah. then like later in your career it's like oh man he fell off on the downturn <laughs> no, I'm, I'm a professional i'm a professional he used to be sick now he's just no. hammered on stage <laughs> he's like cat williams you trust me stage, just being belligerent now nah, man i'm a professional I, I, once i'm i yo i'm i Never take for granted the blessings that I have, I feel. Mm. So that, you know, if man's making a full-time living and touring the world and uh, performing world, like place to place, which is the dream, yeah. I'm not taking that for granted. And there's nothing I'm doing to screw that up still. Nah. 100%. And I'm sure you guys feel the same way. Like, you know, God willing, that shit happens. And I, once I'm there, I'm not going. You, you stuck with me. Can you talk a little bit about the UK music infrastructure as a whole? Because... It's different out there than it is out here in Toronto and in Canada. Definitely. Um, I feel there is a lot, especially within the Asian community, like brown brown people. We've been there for quite a few generations now. Yeah. So we've, we're quite established in the sense of, you know, what we're trying to do now. Yeah. It's been happening in England, to be yeah, honest with you. Yeah, they're a step ahead. Yeah, like I've, I've always said this to anybody when they ask me about the differences between England and Canada. The reason I feel Canada is so good right now is because it's, and again, not to be put this in a negative spin, but it's kind of like 20 years behind in terms of opportunities 
and uh, youth. England, uh, Canada is 20 years younger. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a lot of opportunities here that have already been taken advantage of in England. Mm-hmm. And so there's a good, you know, there's a good um, establishment within the Asian community there, especially the urban Asian community. Mm-hmm. Where they, if I, you know, if you want to be an R and B singer, or if you want to be a rapper, or if you want to be a producer, like I don't know if you know a producer called Steel Bangles. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, shout out to my, Steel Bangles. Yo, yeah, my I guys missed, missed all these man. Like Steel Bangles as a Kala's back, yeah. Apna's and Kala's and Dana's and That just shows you the influence within like the brown community has within uh, England, right? Well, yeah, Mist is from Birmingham. He's from Birmingham, mm. but uh, you know he's a black guy saying Apna's and Kala's and Dana's. Yeah. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? But like Steel Bangles is his producer and this guy is within a market that we're trying to go to and trying to crack and trying to dominate, you know what I mean? Mm. As a brown guy. Yeah. And uh here I don't feel, you know, we're getting there but there's you know, again we're we're a youthful country. We we we're, we're slowly getting to that point. Um I also feel there's is very clicky in some aspect here as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the BBC in England really helps uh, up and coming artists. Yeah. So just to just to kind of touch on that point of things being clicky, I feel like the way people have kind of talked about the Toronto scene is that because so few opportunities exist or have existed in the past, that people can be very defensive of that. Yeah. Where it can be difficult to say, yo, I'm gonna give someone else shine or I'm gonna bring somebody else up with me, because you had to work so hard to get on, to earn that spot that you don't want to give it up for somebody else. Hence the click. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So that's where, like historically, that's kind of been the struggle with with the Toronto scene as far as being able to support everybody because the infrastructure and the money didn't exist to support all the talent that we had. We're getting better, though. Yeah. I feel as a a city, as a community, uh, musical community, we're getting better. Um, and it and and at the end of the day, it's the music that speaks, right? Yeah. If if the music's good and you're not a dickhead, you're gonna do good. <laughs> like rule, main rule: don't be don't, don't be, be a, a dickhead, dickhead. I, fam. I've said this from day. Don't be a dickhead. Like mind, I'm not here to take anything except for my own success. And there's plenty of success to go around. You know what I mean? Like I'm gonna do as much as I can to help you as much as I help myself and I hope you reciprocate. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, and I feel we are getting better like that, but especially when I first started, when I first moved here, it was very clicky. I'd walk into a room and everyone's looking at me, especially I'm going to open mics where predominantly like I'm an R and B singer. So I'm going to open mics where there's a lot of singers and rappers mm-hmm. and none of them are Brown, like to be yeah. honest with you. So it's very clicky. So I come in and they're all looking at me like, who's this motherfucker, this and that. And then I jump on stage and like I start talking. They're like, oh, my God, he's British. Like, what the fuck <laughs> is this guy going to do? But again, man sang, right? And then straight after coming off the stage, those same people that give me the kai and like evils and stuff are like, yo, man, that was so good. You're so good. I'm like, yo, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> so that's the best feeling. But like, yeah. that's what I meant by clicky. Like, I walked in, I'm an outsider. Nobody want to talk to me. But the music shall prevail. Um, another thing that like I've kind of heard from from artists in the UK and just heard about them in general is that they kind of find a problem. Like you kind of get pigeonholed like as like a like a, as an Asian artist there, right? Yeah, so it's like if you're on like the urban Asian radio station then you might not be necessarily on the urban channels in general. Man. So it's like they'll pigeonhole you kind of in that in that sense that, yo, you have your Asian places that play your kind of music, even though you're doing R&B music. Man, I'm about to go, Is that yeah. a thing that is yeah. happening in the UK? Me and my boy on Saturday, just before we were about to go sushi Sunday, it was me and my two good friends. Shout out to Babylon Drums and Phenomenal P. Um, I was um, sitting in the car with them. We were about to have sushi, and we were having this same discussion. Unfortunately, this is the way it works. I'm about to get a bit political. If I was black, my music would be on a bigger mainstream, I feel. In the UK? When my music is Mm R&B, so I get played on BBC Asian Network, right? Yeah. 
Uh, I'm fine, I'm, and I'm thankful for that. I get some rotation on BBC Asian Network. But if I feel if I was black and I was doing the same music, I if I was if I'm doing the same music and I was black, it would be on the one extra station straight away. Yeah. It would be on BBC Radio One because it is of that caliber, and that's just not me being gas. That's me speaking facts. Um, and you know I'm lucky enough to have. Play, been played on one extra and Asian network. I mean Asian network and one and Radio One, but um, I feel I would be on more rotation on one extra because that's more urban, right? Mm. That's more R and B, hip hop. It's an urban station, BBC. But I'm Asian, so man gets space played on BBC Asian Network. Yeah, yeah. it's one thing if you're out there doing fusion tracks. I'm not doing fusion. No, I'm you're doing, doing straight R&B. Like, yeah. you know, panty dropping R&B. <laughs> put that shit on, make a baby music. Emphasis <laughs> on the panty dropping. Yeah, really. <laughs> Take your panties off. You remember that? <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like as a, as a playlist coordinator, how are you going to say, all right, I'm going to play like Shinda, Shinda, <laughs> then I'm gonna play Vaz, then I'm gonna play Rockstar. Like that's how it works, fit, though. Right? If you look at the playlist, like I, I always go afterwards after where I got played, yeah, to see like uh, like you see that, y- you'll see Drake, and then you see Shinda, and then you see Vaz, and then you're like, yo, okay, this is an urban Asian station that I'm getting played on. Mm. It's not like I'm being played on one extra, which I feel. I have to. I'm gonna. I have to do more work. Unfortunately, I have to do more work, and I'm. I'm putting the work in, and um, you know. Again, I don't. I hope you know nobody says anything or gets in. I'll get this a bit of a backlash, but that's just how I feel. Yeah. I, as a brown R&B singer, Asian brown sing uh, R&B singer, I'm. Ha- I'm having to do harder work, which is fine. I'm more than well. Happy to I brought do it up because you haven't even told me this, right? Like this is something I've heard from before, right? So obviously it exists. It, if it's mm. something that you personally, agree with. I feel it does. But you know, it's no biggie. Yeah, I, yeah, I got to do more work. I'm, it it yeah. is what it is, right? But uh, at least now we're seeing strides being made with the likes of Steel Bangles getting into the mainstream urban market there and the grime market, and also. Uh, Grisevic, uh, ma- uh, ba- uh bangers by Savak. Like. Yeah, man, and like Na- Nav is like, of course, uh, you know, Nav bring it back here. to my guy Nav. Like, he has not been pigeonholed, and his demographic is the demographic we're trying to target, right? Yeah. yeah, and he's doing his thing, so it is possible. I remember listening to an interview Jay Sean and Rishi Rich back in the day. You remember that banger "Dance with You," that first yeah, song? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It did it. They wouldn't play it on the Indian or Asian radio stations because it wasn't Indian enough or Asian enough. And they wouldn't play it on the R&B stations because it wasn't urban enough. Yeah, it's like, crazy. What, what do you do? What the fuck do you do, fam? I'm trying to sing it. Like, but, you know, they fought, they fought, they fought. They broke down the door and it became a success. And I guess that's what we have to do. We have to fight and fight and fight and become a success. And that's what, and that's what we're doing. Yeah, I remember this is, I was in the UK. This is probably five or six years ago. And I was with some extended fam, and they're like, oh, you rap. And I'm like, yeah. So I showed them some of my stuff. And then pretty much the first, the first comment I got. So I played them the very yeah. first video. I already know the what first you said. <laughs> first thing someone says is like, yeah, it's good, but you should mix it with some like Punjabi music, right? So there's kind of that, I guess... I don't know if it's a reluctance or or what it is, but from the my experience with the UK music scene, specifically with the, the Asian or the South Asian scene, is that they don't want you to be doing anything else outside of that limited view that they have of what a South Asian artist should be. You, you know just as well as I do, if we had gone down that route, we'd be f- more famous. And I'm not saying we're famous now, but like, you know I me, mean? we'd be... More famous, and we'd definitely be making some good amounts of money uh, if we had gone down that route. If I had decided to go to a Punjabi or, you know, put an R&B twist to a Bangla tune or something. Yeah. Uh, I'd be getting that demographic. But, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm as Punjabi as it gets. Yeah. I love my music, Punjabi music. And, you know, eventually, you say, maybe down the road, I will do a Bangla song or something. Yeah. But that's not the demographic or the music I'm trying to make. That's not my music. Man. That's a fucking stupid thing too, right? It's like people can't wrap their heads around that. You fucking grew up on R&B. R&B music is all you've made. But still, because you can sing, they're like, why don't you do it over some 
you know, Indian Punjabi Bollywood yeah. sample or a Pungana track, right? And it's like, that's cool. I have all the respect for that and my culture. But the thing is, like, me, I grew up on hip-hop. I wanted it, I, you know, like, I looked up to fucking Jay-Z, Outkast, all this shit, and yeah. that's who I wanted to be. It didn't mean that I didn't respect fucking Kaldeep Marnik and Chumkila, like, that 100%. shit was in my house, you know? <laughs> Big like, Yo, Babu Man does, is still the GOAT, <laughs> you know? That but, doesn't mean I wasn't growing up listening to G.I. Jart, Shout out to G.I. Jart, You will find his Instagram still. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's like, it's funny that it's like, I don't know, man. I don't know what it is. Like, that's one of those things that always pissed me off. I entertain it because it happens so often, right? And I don't want to be rude. But, like, it's like, come on, oh, man. It's like, it's like, it doesn't make you any less Punjabi. It just means that, yo, you know the type of music you want to make. Your heart's not going to be in it if you're not doing something you love. Man, I tell you now, when I l- listen to certain music, like, for me, the reason why I'm an R&B singer is because R&B touches me the most, right? Mm-hmm. Like, when I listen to MJ or Prince or whatever, like, I get goosebumps. Yeah. Like, and I get goosebumps. To be honest, I get goosebumps with Punjabi music, too. But me, as my art, when I channel, when I write, I feel I can express what I'm trying to say best in English. Yeah, I if feel you had to think of the Punjabi word of how you I can't feel, do it. you'd be here forever. I'm not dropping panties in Punjabi, fam. <laughs> <laughs> Punjabi panties? That might be the first single off the next album. <laughs> Yo, <laughs> man, it's like, I could, yeah, let me put this in my phone. <laughs> <laughs> Make a note. Hold Punjabi on, yeah. take this ready. out of the podcast because we're, we're not going to throw away that idea right it's now. a million yeah. dollar idea. Still. <laughs> we're going to turn this to an A&R session. It's a PP, it's a PP, Punjabi panties. We'll get Bobo Man on the fucking remix. So, like, when you moved to Canada, right? Yes, you said obviously life. There was some getting used to. How how was your musical journey when it, when you came here? Like, obviously, it took it might have taken a little bit of a backseat because you had to find a job and this that. Yeah. Your family's getting sorted, but like, when did when you did find time? Like, wh- what was your mindset and what like what did you think that you had to do? Like. I needed a producer. I needed an engineer. I needed. Uh, I had to set up in my room, so yeah. to speak, like you know, the mic and everything. I bought myself. I invested in a good mic, and a laptop. Um, but I needed a producer and engineer. And uh, I'll be honest with you, I couldn't find an, anyone that I wanted to work around here. Yeah. Uh, I didn't have a big network. I didn't know many people, so that was my downfall. All the people I knew were bankers. And they weren't really useful when it came to my music. They could help me with my taxes, but, you know, that's about it. Um, So, you know, I started reaching out back to England again. And uh, I connected with uh, a young producer called PKC The First. And uh, we started working on music together where he would send me a beat, uh, send me a bunch of beats, actually. And I would choose which one I want. I start writing over them. And then I'd record at home myself send him the stems and then he started mixing them and mastering it at, in England and then we had the songs ready yeah so we started doing that and then uh, I decided to kind of like go back to England for a couple of months um well actually before that uh he sent me the beats and I recorded a, my first ever mixtape I recorded was here in 2012 it was called Interlude okay cuz it was like an interlude of my life at that time uh, I had you know, I'd been doing all this banking stuff and it was time for me to do focus on my music. So I called it Interlude. It was about five tracks and uh, he sent me all the beats. I booked a studio here. It was actually in Pickering. I went all the way to Pickering. Okay. I booked a whole week off during my birthday and uh, I recorded the whole project uh, that week there. And my guy kind of like cleaned it up a little bit there. And then he sent we sent the stems to England. He mixed and mastered it, PKC. And then I had a project and I had his interlude. And then um, literally like four days before the project dropped, which was on, it was on us. The project was supposed to drop on a Sunday and we're sitting in my boy's basement smoking shisha, chilling. And we're like, yo, we should do a release party. Yeah. I'm like, man, it's like four days left. How am I supposed to get a venue, people, everything? Like, how am I supposed to do this? Like, don't worry, we'll do it. My guy, my guy uh, one of my friends was a DJ is a DJ, uh, DJ Knox. He was like, I can get you a venue somewhere I've DJ before. It'll be free. We just need to spend a minimum at the bar. I was like, we're all fucking alcoholic umblies. We're gonna, <laughs> we'll, that'll be fine. 
we got the venue and uh yeah like more than 100 120 people came that night yeah and i was gassed within four days we were able to envision organize and implement a whole release party that's amazing and uh we did that and the project came out and again like man i'm not gonna get famous out of one project like that uh it wasn't on apple music or anything like it wasn't that prevalent then yeah so we just put it on soundcloud uh and i was like i want more i want to do another one yeah so i started working on the other one um next project which was called big dreams long nights but for that i actually went back to england i uh took a sabbatical off work mm-hmm. went back to england and spent like six months with PK working on the project. And then I came back and then we released it. And again, that's when I started. That's the BDLN. Uh, it's a song called Enemies. Predominantly is when I started getting the BBC exposure. Because I submitted that to BBC. And um, they started playing that on heavy rotation. At one point, Yasa played the whole project. Yeah. Like from start to finish. Because he loved it so much. Um, and that's when things started really picking up pace because I, st- I started working with PK. Yeah, man, it was good. Um, that And that kind of what made me move back because remember I was saying, like, I moved here in 2008, but then I moved back in 2014. Okay. I moved back to work on more music. And what um, what was that transition like now to just move back to what you uh, used to know? I was not in London, so I wasn't home. I was in Birmingham. So I might as well have been in a foreign land anyway. Because <laughs> yeah. even though I was in the same country, it was not the same city. Like my oh, city yeah. was London life compared to... Birmingham life. Yeah, again, I'm, I don't know anyone. I don't, yeah. you know, no one's there. Well, fuck, my family's from Huddersfield. So when I saw London, I was like, this is yeah, crazy. It's a, di- it's a different life. Like, no, you know, no disrespect to Birmingham, but like it is heaven and earth kind of difference. Yeah, oh yeah. And then... um. Yeah, and then but I had my producer there, so I needed to find a job. So I found a daytime job during the days, but evenings and weekends was dedicated to making more music. And then we just started making more music, and every time we would make something, we'd send it to Yasa, and he would spin it and getting more and more connections, getting more shows. We started doing more shows, um, which was which was more good for me because I'm getting that exposure, I'm getting that confidence. And I started just building a small buzz in the UK. I was in a bad physical state. And my ba- my dad was like, you know, get yourself checked out health-wise. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we went to the hospital. And I've always had, like, problems for health when I was a kid. Like, I've had a bad leg. I've had kidney problems. But it wasn't that bad. Uh, but when I came back, the doctor's like, yo, your kidneys are, like, 16%. Your kidneys are failing. Oh, wow. So I was like, oh okay uh what do we do now then they're like you're gonna need a transplant i'm like okay so what do we do so they so for the past year or so and i have again you know exclusive man hasn't really told many people but because mm. i don't want to i don't want no sob i don't want sympathy i don't want you know people going oh look at you poor you listen i don't want none of that like yeah I'm, I'm it's fine. not like you're gonna bring it up in every conversation. No, man, you I'm, have I'm every fine. Day. Like I'm, I'm, I'm bigger and better, and I'm kicking and swinging, whatever. Yeah. I'm, I'm absolutely. I've been through worse. That's all I'm saying. I've been through worse, right? My kidney failing. Like I've been through worse. So, but the point is, uh, over the year, my kidneys failed even more, and. And uh, what would like? Uh, sorry to like dive into it, but like, what would like? Did they give you explanation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have this thing where my it's just a genetic thing where since I was a kid, my body has produced too much protein. Okay. And my my kidneys can't handle it. So over time, like when I was younger, uh, when I was ill, you know, again I'm getting a bit icky maybe here. Mm. I'd uh, when I get ill, I would pass blood in, and blood and protein in my urine. Okay. That stopped over time, but protein would still get lost because my kidneys can handle it. That extra stress on the kidney over time reduced the functionality of it. I'm at around 5 6% functionality now. Around 10%, you need dialysis. Yeah. And the thing is with the kidneys, you don't really feel the symptoms until you need dialysis. When you're around 9 10%, your hands start shaking and flopping. You can't concentrate. You're constantly fatigued. And you know, I like I have a day job. Yeah. Uh, I would go to work, and man, it was a struggle, especially with my job. 
uh, a day job is in finance so you know i'm dealing with people's money it was hard for me to concentrate so they sent me home uh so i'm on dialysis uh, i've been on dialysis uh and you know thank god I'm, I'm a very lucky individual where i have a lot of friends and family that care about me and um i'm gonna be getting a kidney transplant hopefully within the next within the year or so um okay there were three options first option is die and apparently i'm not allowed to yet <laughs> uh, second was to be on dialysis for an average of seven years while i'm on the kidney waiting list wow. and man i'm not doing fucking dialysis for seven years and um yeah so you know like i said i'm very lucky because i've had my brother come forward and offer me his kidney uh, i don't want it but wow. Shout out to yeah, brother, man. man. Babe, I told yeah, you, they're yeah. better men than me, man. But yeah. like I told my, my, I don't want it. But, you know, again, I he's like, what would you do? And I said, you know, I'd give my life. Nah. So he's like, shut the fuck up then. <laughs> so would no, for real. Like, so yo, big lucky. up to him. Yeah, it's it's one Fam? thing. Like, obviously, I feel like a lot of people would, would do that for their family because. You'd be family, surprised, even, man. Even no, you'd be surprised. It, it's one of those decisions that you hope. A lot of people would make you right. Think it's a no-brainer, like, right? Oh, my brother needs But me. also, it's not like fucking. You're just taking it out, and there's circumstances to all these things, right? Uh, yeah, so that's a very brave fucking act to pull off for anybody. I can never repay him, and but to be honest with you, that's like my biggest fear. I don't want him to be hindered. I don't want him to be affected. Yeah. <laughs> like he, like I said, he's a better man than me. He comes straight and tells me it will, it will motivate me. He goes. It will it will motivate me to live better, and like it will motivate me to to be healthier. And then me personally, knowing that I've got my brother's kidney kidney in me, man, I ain't abusing that for nah, nothing. Like oh, that's that's gold, fam. That's more mm. than gold. That's my brother's life in me. So I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna uh, the way I can repay him is to live my life the best I can. Yeah, man. I'm very lucky because. I speak to a lot of uncles and aunties and people around my dialysis clinic and like there's one lady for example not naming names she she's got seven brothers and sisters and not one came forward not even like they're not a match didn't even come forward to say Jeez. yo test me see if I can donate that's crazy so I'm very lucky I'm very blessed um and I've always known I'm very lucky and blessed to have my family around me but you know I take you take it for granted sometimes. We do. So this situation has kind of uh put things in perspective of how lucky I am. And um yeah. Uh like I said, the only way I can repay my man is my brother is to live my life to the best and take over the world and you yeah. know be a international Well, Vaz, honestly it seems like you, the, the the type of mind state that you're in is what uh, what man, a lot of people should Man, this ain't nothing. You know, and that 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 is the way. That is the way to battle anything in life, right? We we come through hard times, and health is one of those things that we don't realize until it hits, right? And it can hit Look any yourself, fucking man. day. And in to some sense, we wait until something goes wrong for us to live our life fully, right? For ourselves and realize, yeah, l let me. And like even like I I had this thing where I always thought I was invincible. Like I don't gotta fucking eat healthy. <laughs> oh I I like you know like I used to play footy growing up and stuff like that. I've always stayed this. Now obviously fucking the older I get, I realize you, you know it. the tag's coming and this and that. And I'm like I feel like shit when I eat shit. Like you know and it's like, but that's the thing. Like my uh, my father in law was just recently in hospital and he it was like an instant switch to him to just be like I gotta change my ways right. But it's weird everything that we is like for that, a fucking right? reason, yeah. right? Everything is for a reason. This is part of your journey. And but I'm just I'm proud of you in the sense that you have this mind state with it. And that's fucking awesome to see, man. Has going through these health concerns, has this changed the urgency with which you approach your art? Hundred percent, man. Yeah. And like I'm kinda off the full time work at the moment because physically I can't do it, right? Mm. So I have a lot of time on my hands. So what better way to use that time than to focus on my art mm -hmm. and to be able to and it's given me the opportunity to be able to you know pros and cons i have this time now and i'm able to do these shows i'm able to you know 
write music i'm able to go to studio sessions which i'm you know might not necessarily been able to if i was still at my regular job yeah so i'm trying to make the most of my time and um yeah it's motivating me to an extent where i'm like yo life is short man you it's gonna smack the shit out of you so you gotta do the best you can even from like a uh, like a songwriter stance like you're going through a lot of emotions right now yeah, i'm assuming that you work off emotions when it comes to yeah, songwriting non-panty dropping emotions non <laughs> yeah, yeah like this is real life it's, shit it's right but it's like it's still like w when you think about r&b how many how many emotion. real songs about real life issues still give you the motherfucking goosebumps mm. Right, so it's like I can only imagine. The, is the pen mighty right now? Yeah, man. It's it's it, for for the longest time because my mind was so clogged. Imagine a bunch of people trying to go through the same door at the same time. Nobody's getting through because they're all getting stuck. Same thing was going on with my my thoughts. I had so many thoughts trying to be funneled out onto the paper. So many like at the same time, I w I had a writer's block. I couldn't write for the longest. And plus, I was putting so much stress on trying to put what was going in my head onto pen, pad. So I couldn't write anything. So what I did, I just took some time. I did nothing. I did nothing. There's power in doing nothing sometimes. So I took time to just rest and focus on myself. And now I'm coming back and it's like, it's literally flowing. And again, I'm not trying to be like, oh, look at me, man, sick, this and that. <laughs> I'm, I'm being subtle about it. I'm trying to implement keywords and phrases and little little clever lines here and yeah, there you're not doing writing. the dialysis anthem yo, are you yo man, man is here <laughs> plugged in the machine trying to get my blood clean <laughs> yo save those bars man don't, don't be spitting them on the show <laughs> no, i'm not doing none of that i'm just i'm trying to be i'm trying to be smart with it because again it's my experiences it's my life is what i'm going through right now um and I'm trying to I'm trying to write things that people can relate to where, you know, they listen to it and they're like, you're all I feel yeah. that too. Well, yeah, you yeah. seem like a classy fellow from what, <laughs> like this little talk right now. It doesn't seem like you're going to be trying to take advantage. No, of man, that's my whole point. Like I'm trying to, uh, like me, even this illness, I'm trying to represent it the best I can. We're going to carry on tradition from what we did in season one. Season one, we closed every episode with our guests to talk about gratitude, what it is that you're grateful for. It could be anything. It could be a person. It could be an object. It can be something intangible, just anything in your life that, that you're grateful for and that you want to express that gratitude for right now. Man. Um, yeah, man, just keeping with the theme of the conversation, as we were saying earlier, I'm very thankful for my family. I know that's very cliched, mm -hmm. um, but, you know, one thing I've realized over the past couple of years is not everybody has that luxury. Yeah. Um, some of the some of the closest people I've I've had in my life didn't have that luxury. And, uh, you know, they made me realize uh, I'm a very lucky individual that I have a family that gives a shit. So thankful for that. Uh, I'm thankful for this gift that the big man has given me. Um, and hopefully I'll be able to, fuck, hopefully, I will, motherfucker. <laughs> I will get to the to the echelons that I need to with this voice. Uh, thankful. Thank you, lads, for having me today. I appreciate, you know, the hospitality and, and the beverages and, <laughs> and, and just, ha you know, involving me in this movement. It's a, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing you guys are doing. I wish we had something like this when we were younger. Yeah. But, you know, like I said, it's up to our our generation to provide that for the new the new ones so thank thank you to you guys but yeah um like i said this what i'm going through right now put really puts things into perspective look after yourself be thankful for those around you that give a shit and do what the fuck you want man like well said do what the fuck you want because if you don't, what's the point of life, man? Like, I'm tired of... I was trying to explain this to my mom earlier today, as I always am. Like, the days of working a nine-to-five and building and going to work and marrying and having kids and all that, it's, it's amazing. Like, if you're about that life, yeah, great. Like, but if you're not happy, get the fuck out of there and do what the fuck you want. I know it's easier said than done, man, but yeah. you... you work what you have to maybe you have to work harder maybe you have to 
make certain sacrifices, but fucking do it. Yeah, just thinking about what you're saying earlier about, you know, your brother being that social support for you and really coming through for you at a very challenging time. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for my sister. Grateful for my nieces, man. Right now, they're going through a challenging time right now. They're going through a bit of a separation. But that's allowed me to be there for my sister when she needs it and be there for my nieces when they need it. Um, so to really kind of step in and be that, in a sense, um, a, a type of father figure to the, to the kids, uh, that's, that's a beautiful thing, man. I'm, I'm, I'm glad I'm able to be in that position. Shout out to your nieces too, man. Those are yeah. two beautiful girls, man. And, and your sister, amazing person. Yeah, so I'm I'm thankful for that. Like you mentioned, you know, not everybody has that family there. Yeah, man. And take it for granted. Still. Yeah, we do take it for granted. And yeah, I'm I'm grateful that she had somewhere to go when she needed to get out. And I'm grateful that I was not even just me, but my wife, my parents, we were there to be in that position to 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 offer somewhere to go. Yeah, ain't no thing like I'm yeah, you, you know what I mean? yeah, yeah. I got Exactly. Yeah. 100% man. Yo man, thank you for sharing that yeah, man. man. That's amazing man. Shout out. Yo, just to keep it on theme cuz I can't I can't <laughs> come with no bullshit after no, that. Man. Uh, I'm thankful for Gatorade. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thankful for GI Joe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm literally thankful for GI Jack for opening these doors though. <laughs> fucking put me on the spot guys being fucking <laughs> really right really here. nice guys over here you didn't know um no like yo even just to because we're staying on the family theme like my my eldest brother moved back to norway a few years back and uh my eldest niece and my bobby all moved back there and like it, it was it was a hard transition for me having my eldest brother not around because that was fucking over 20 years of my life knowing nothing but him being in the same mm-hmm. household as me, right? And uh, just recently, this last weekend, I just had the urge to call him and just talk to him rather than... Because usually lately, it's just like, call, let me talk to my niece on Skype and yeah. let me talk to her. And she just runs off into her room, right? But at times I forget that, yo, I need to I need to check up on my mans, you know, and even even though we're, you know, we always like to think our, our brothers are good and our siblings are good and, you know, but they might not always want to even include us in turmoil that they might be going coming across. Right. Um, it was just a reminder. Have We just had a normal conversation and it just reminded me the power of that mm. and the power of. Even after I had the conversation of that, I felt really good. And I felt that, um, that that line of communication is very important. Mm-hmm. At times, we just think, oh, you know, because he didn't hit me up, it's all good. He must be good. Yeah. We wait until something is wrong to talk to each other, right? So that is something kind of a, a thing that I've been battling this week in, in just being like, Whenever you feel like talking to somebody, pick up that phone and fucking call them. And, you know, for me, it was it's my brother. So, you know, like there shouldn't be no excuse. Right. But but that's for anybody. Yeah. yeah. Right. And people need it, man. A conversation is a fucking beautiful thing. And that's why this podcast is doing so well, man. So let's keep good conversation going and check up on the people you love with, man. Baz, it's been an amazing conversation. Um we are here for you for whatever you need. We, are, okay. we, uh, I, I find it amazing that you have such a such a upbeat personality. Well, everything that's going, and that's the way I feel like people should tackle the the tough times in their lives Thank is you, to man. just bring it fucking head on and just stare at it and let's get it fucking done, right? And move on to the next. So uh, I'm proud of you in taking that stance in life. Also, this is an open door. Anytime, I know these cumbles have won you over. So anytime, <laughs> I'm about to take one right now. <laughs> anytime you want to come back to Cumble Studios, brother, you're more than welcome. Thank you, man. And this has been another episode of the Immigrant Hustle Podcast, live from Cumble Studios. It's another one. Okay.